welcome to the Access Church Podcast and our Sermon of the Week. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. We are concluding uh, this kind of teaching series as we've been talking about um, Christmas in 3D. I'll explain that in a minute. The first week we talked about that uh, talked about Christmas in the garden. That the first Christmas story is actually in the book of Genesis, chapter three, verse fifteen. I'll just review this because I see that there are many uh, people that you're visiting from out of the area. Verse fifteen of chapter three of Genesis. It says, "I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel." That thousands of years before Jesus was even born, the Bible says that there was one to come who would have his heel, right, his heel bruised that would eventually take place on the cross, but that Jesus would crush the head of the enemy. We talked about the second week in Luke chapter 1, the waiting room, and we talked about the two angelic visitations and the difference in responses from Zechariah and Mary. And we said that uh, we talked about expectation and anticipation and the gap between that which God has spoken to us and that which is seen or realized in our lives. Last week, Dr. Stanley John was with us, and what an awesome message from the book of Philippians. He said that the first stop shop for all of our desires starts in prayer. And that the antidote to discontent and anxious striving is generosity. What an excellent message. If you weren't here last week, catch that online. But this morning, I want to talk to you from the book of Galatians chapter 4. Part of our uh, Christmas gift this year to our in-laws who were with us last weekend is we had planned months ago to take them to sight and sound. Have you guys been there before? I mean, let me just tell you, wow. So we uh, had gone a couple years ago. It was our first time we went and saw Jonah. And then we went uh, last weekend and we saw Jesus. And I'll tell you what, it's hard to even really like describe sight and sound to somebody that's never been there. Other than, you know, to me it's like unthinkable that we could have something like that so close and people not go. And, you know, as, as we went to see Jesus, I knew how great Jonah was. But I'll tell you, it, as I walked away from watching the Jesus presentation, it like exceeded every expectation that I had. I mean, it was just like, I knew that it was going to be good. I knew that it was like going to be really good, but I walked away and it exceeded my expectations. I was just wowed. I tried to explain it to somebody the other day and I was trying to explain like how impressed I was. And they're looking at me like, why are you so passionate about it? I was like, you just kind of like have to go. Whatever expectations you go with, it's going to exceed your expectations. Have you had those moments in life before where you expected something great, but you walked away and you tried to describe it to somebody and you're like, it just exceeded my expectations. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. A child once authored a book and here's what he titled it. Jesus is better than you ever imagined. Jesus is better than you've ever imagined. You know, I love Christmas, and I'll tell you, Christmas Eve is going to be a special night. You don't want to miss it, okay? And uh, it's going to be, there are going to be great services. We've been planning for weeks for these services. And, uh, you know, 
if you haven't been, if you haven't been to Christmas Eve, like, just raise your hand real quick, because I want to make sure. Yeah, there's a bunch of you. Okay, you haven't been to Christmas Eve, okay? It's not like a barn barn, okay? You know what a barn is, right? Like, this is not like, you know, you're not going to have to, like, smell cow manure and wear, like, a coat, okay? This is a nice place. 200,000 Christmas lights. 200,000. That's a lot of bulbs to check, okay? 155 dozen cookies somebody made. 155 dozen. So, like, come ready to eat, right? 30 minutes before, there'll be Christmas photos. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful venue, but the services are going to be awesome, and uh, you'll be encouraged, and we're just going to have a great time together. 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. If you're debating between the two, and you're like, I could go to either or, go to both or go to 6. 4 is going to be a full service, and, uh, but we're going to have an awesome time together. All right? Um, you know, when it's the Christmas season, I think, uh, you know, there are two potentially dangerous things that we can do, okay? Because we talk about baby Jesus in the cradle around the Christmas season, and there are two kind of equally dangerous things that we can do. Number one is on Easter, right? We tend to leave Jesus on the cross. And yet in the Christmas season, we kind of, you know, get the story of cute little Jesus in the cradle and if you don't see beyond kind of cute little Jesus in the cradle, it, it becomes one-dimensional. What I've been sharing over the last couple of weeks is that most people see Christmas in two dimensions. They see what took place, right? When it took place, but they miss like the why behind the Christmas season. They miss the why. They miss the things of expectation and anticipation. They uh, miss so many dimensions, but today I want to talk about that Jesus exceeds all of our expectations. And to do this, you can turn to the book of Galatians, where we're going to see a Jewish rabbi, right, who for the very first part of his life didn't believe the Christmas story. He hated the very one that Christmas was all about until he experienced it. And we're going to talk a bit about that on Christmas Eve, that our faith is experiential. But when you talk to the average person on the street, you know, they're going to describe Christmas. They're going to describe it in things like angels and shepherds and mangers and stars and wise men. And they'll talk about kind of the historical event that's recorded in the Gospels. The when and, and the what took place. But many times they miss the why. And so Galatians uh, chapter 4 that we're going to read from this morning. It's written in 50 AD. So it's about 20 years after the death of Jesus, after the birth and the life of Jesus. The Apostle Paul kind of gives the theological version of the story, okay? The theological, this is the why behind the what. Most pastors, you know, that's whatever, today's the 23rd, you know, they're going to get up and they're going to talk about the cute story. And we're not necessarily going to focus on that. We're going to talk about the why, because it's in the why that you find out that Jesus exceeds all of our expectations. Galatians chapter 4, this is the third dimension. Verses 4 through 5. When the set time had fully come, God sent. This is pretty interesting. This indicates the pre-existence of Jesus. A lot of times we look at Christmas as like this is the beginning of Jesus. 
But the Bible says when the set time had fully come, God what? Sent. He sent Jesus. Born of a woman. We're going to talk more about that Christmas Eve. Born of a woman under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, the Bible talks about this set time. Let's go ahead and say that, a set time. It's pretty amazing to think that from the very beginning of time, before Jesus was born, right? Before the first planet was hung in the sky, the sun was lit, it was almost as if God had a set time on his calendar, right? The notifications are set in bold print, and it said, birth of Christ, birth of Christ. The world had this divine appointment that was going to come. And I said a couple weeks ago to, to not forget that when God makes an appointment, he's never late. And he always shows up. And so for hundreds and thousands of years, the Jewish people, they were waiting for the Messiah. They didn't know it, but they were waiting. And the universe was waiting for the Lord. And then God sends his son, brings him into the world through the womb of a woman. It was like unthinkable, born of human biology, just like every ordinary son or daughter was born. Jesus was born. He became just like you and me. And so the Apostle Paul, now looking back on the birth of Jesus and the transformation that has taken place in his life, he begins to describe the why Jesus exceeded all of his expectations. And look at what he says. There are three key things that I want you to see. Number one, because of Christmas, I can enjoy spiritual freedom. Paul writing back as he's thinking of the Christmas story, he's thinking of the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. He said it took place to redeem those who are under the law. Now, who are those that are under the law? Well, it's all of us. Each and every person that's represented in this room. Each and every person that has ever walked the face of the earth outside of our Lord Jesus was under the law. Now, there are physical laws of the universe, right, that we are all under. If you don't believe me today, go out into the lobby, jump up in the air, and see if your two feet hit the ground because there are physical laws that we are all under. Are you with me? All right? Equally, there are spiritual laws that we are all under as well, right? And the greatest problem in human history is the spiritual law. And it's the issue related to to sin. And so the problem is that not one human being outside of Jesus ever stayed under the law. No one perfectly obeyed the law. We've all broken the law of God at one point in time in our lives. And the word is called sin. It's not a popular word to use in our culture today. We rather talk about mistakes. We rather talk about bad choices. We rather try to like sugarcoat the reality. But the Bible says that sin is sin. It means that we missed God's mark, right? It's like an archer aiming for the target and he misses the mark. You know, we can't even keep our own laws if you really think about it, let alone God's law. Everybody ever get a ticket? 
Anybody ever not fully stop at a stop sign? The other day I passed a catabus that was like parked, it felt like. And then the person that I was with, they were like, you can't pass on double yellow lines even if it's a catabus. And my first thing was like, that's what everybody does on this road. I just thought like you could, and they were like, no, you can't do that. Go to jail. No. But, you know, they've got those bike racks. Let me just get up on my thing for a second. They put bike racks on catabuses so that people can like spend 35 minutes loading their bicycles while I just kind of like sit behind there and Maybe you're allowed to. I, I guess you're not. But, you know, we can't even keep our, our own laws, right? We can't even keep our own New Year's resolutions, right? <laughs> and so there's this saying, if you do the crime, you what? Pay the time. Somebody once said to me, they said, you can always make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. You know, this past week we were... In the prison, we were caroling with the various groups of people that, that come in. And, you know, as the guys are getting ready or the ladies are getting ready to sing, you just start kind of talking to them. And, you know, the last thing you do is, like, say, hey, what'd you do, you know? But it, like, comes up. It just comes up in conversation. And it's pretty funny as it comes up. You know, you just start talking. And, you know, Ashley's telling me about this one guy. And he's like, you wouldn't believe it. They thought that I did such and such in town, you know? The excuses. Somebody said to me, you know, the guy that I was sitting next to, he's like, it was just the right thing to do. I said, if it was the right thing to do, you wouldn't be here right now. He started laughing. I, I know him, actually. So, um, you know, it's just the right thing. You wouldn't be here because there are natural consequences for the decisions that we make in life. So you can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both, and there are consequences physically speaking, but the same is true spiritually speaking. The Bible teaches that sin puts us in debt, spiritually speaking, to God. We owe God perfection because God is perfect, and each one of us, at some point in our lives, we've violated his standard. We've missed the mark, and the sin debt continues to pile, and it continues to pile, and we can't pay it. We can't even bail ourselves out. The best lawyer in the world can't help your sin debt in the eyes of God. And it really doesn't matter which of the laws that we break. In fact, the book of James chapter 2 verse 10 says, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking the whole law. So it's like, well, if I've just broken one of God's laws, I might as well have broken them all. We are desperately in need of a solution to sin, right? Think of it this way. In God's eyes, there are no misdemeanors. They're all felonies. You owe a debt to God, and you need redemption. And so the Apostle Paul says one of the ways that Jesus exceeds his expectation is that Jesus redeemed those of us that are under the law. Jesus came to redeem those of us that are under the law. What does redeem mean? It means to pay a debt completely off. It means to buy something back. Jesus didn't just come to bail us out, but he came to pay our sin debt. He came to free us from spiritual bondage once and for all. How did he do that? It's the simplicity of the gospel that Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He kept 
God's law in absolute perfection. The law of God kind of represented God's clearest revelation of his justice. And Jesus born as a human being was born under the law like us. Yet he kept that law perfectly and he became as a result the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. He never sinned once, not even close to sinning. And so he didn't owe a debt like you and I. He, he couldn't pay, so he paid the debt that you and I needed to pay on our behalf. Our sin mortgage in the eyes of God was completely paid off through the shed blood of Jesus Paul says it exceeded his expectations that Jesus came so that you and I are redeemed. Amen? It's the story of why this baby came in a cradle. This morning, God would say to you, you don't owe me anything because Jesus paid everything for you and for me. But the ongoing work of redemption gets even better. It gets even better. Jesus didn't just come to set us free from the spiritual bondage of the law. He came to forgive our sins. But look at what it says in verse 5. So that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus came to redeem us. But because of Christmas, you have a whole other spiritual family. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of the woman to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, a lot of times when we read the Bible, we want to read it through kind of our cultural context. But when this would have been read 2,000 or so years ago, it would have been read a little bit differently and you miss the rich meaning of what it means to adopt. In our culture, in our society today, we typically think of adoption and children. We think of adoption and babies. That's our day. But in their day, in the time that this was written, adoption was a little bit different. In the first century, most people never adopted children. The Jewish terminology, when they read this scripture, and it should be the lens that we read through it today... It was a Roman custom that was being referenced. Romans didn't adopt babies or children. They adopted full-grown adults. And so when you read adoption in the Bible, talking about our identity in Christ, you need to read it through the lens of an adult. The adoption was mainly carried uh, by rich and, and, and rich families that had children, but like a lot of families, there was dysfunction in the family. Anybody have dysfunction in the family? Don't raise your hand. Because maybe that person's right next to you. But, you know, there are a lot of dysfunction in families, right? (laughs) Nobody raised their hand. Take a deep breath. A lot of dysfunction in families. And what would happen would be particularly with the father, right? He loved the son. He loved the daughter. But he didn't trust them. And so he had an estate. He had wealth and and property and a lot of possessions, but as he would look at the lives of his children, if he didn't trust them, if they didn't meet his standards, he would go out and find another young man of good character, of good reputation that he would felt would be a good fit for the family, and he would adopt them into the family. And as he began and continued to raise that adult, if that adult proved worthy, He would not only make them equal with his own children, but he would elevate them 
to the level above his biological children. And what Paul is talking about is that Christ not only redeemed you, but he brought you into his family. When you and I were unworthy, he, you know, the father would go out and he would find people that were not worthy of his estate. They weren't entitled to it, but he would bring them into the family. And as they continued in the family, eventually he would leave the estate to them. So it's so much more, you know, as a Christian, it's so much more than just God wiping your slate clean or paying the debt off or getting you out of spiritual jail and forgiveness and all of those things. But in Christ, you now have a completely new identity. As a Christian, you leave kind of the slavery of trying to please God through works. And now you gain the privileges of heaven and you also gain the responsibilities of being a child in this new family. Now, if you're an adopted parent, you understand more than anyone how wonderful this is. Adoption is always intentional, right? Nobody just accidentally adopted, (laughs) especially nowadays. I just accidentally adopted, you know. You accidentally spent, you know, $35,000 and flew back and forth 36 times or whatever. Nobody accidentally adopts. It's always intentional. It's not because they have to, but they want to. Now, we've heard a lot about unplanned pregnancies. But I'll tell you, I've never heard the word unplanned or unwanted adoption. God adopted you as a Christian into his family. And so as Paul's looking back, he's like, this exceeded all of my expectations, the horrible things that I've done. And now the fact that I'm in right relationship with God and I'm part of his family. It says in verse six, because you were his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. The spirit that calls out Daddy. This is amazing to me because the Bible says that one of the reasons that you and I have the Holy Spirit within us as a Christian is not to just like display our spirituality, but so that we have that internal witness of the Holy Spirit of God that's crying out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit lives within me and is crying out, Abba, Father. That you have that assurance, that you have that understanding, that you're now part of a spiritual family. Jesus spoke Aramaic, not Greek. And so this word, you know, basically when you boil it down, it's the most intimate term that you could use. The Abba Father. When Jesus was on the earth, he he was called Father. He called God Father over 200 times. If you go through all of the prayers of ancient Judaism, you'll never find God referred to as a father. For all of these years, like in in Jewish history, they never address God as father. And yet because of Christmas, you and I now have a father in heaven. And we have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit that helps us realize we're part of a new family. You know, church to me is so much more than an organization. God forbid the church is ever an organization or an institution. Church is a spiritual family. And it should feel that way. 
I saw, I see like many of you guys that you've moved and now you're back for Christmas and you're just as much part of the family as everybody else that's been here every week since you've moved. You're part of a spiritual family with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Christmas Eve, you'll just sense that as you're there. I mean, you just sense it's like a spiritual family now. Our missionaries this week, as we were talking about in India, they're just as much part of our spiritual family as other people. He messaged, he texted me this week, and he's like, tell Access, by the way, because of your generosity, he shed 200 unsaved people were shared the Christmas story for the very first time in India because of your generosity through the ministry center. They're part of our spiritual family. In three weeks, when our team goes to southern Mexico, we're going to link arms and we're going to pray with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Chetamal. And if you went for the very first time and you saw the interaction, you would just feel like they were just as much our spiritual family as those of you that are right in front of me this morning. Paul's like, he's looking at the transformation that took place in his life through Jesus. And he's like, you know, my life is not just like about buildings and it's not just about church and like all of that. Paul's like, I am now part of a, a spiritual family. But it gets even better than that. Look at what it says in verse 7. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you're a child, God has also made you an heir. He's made you an heir. He says being a child and being an heir are inseparable realities of God's family. Being a child of God and being an heir are inseparable realities in God's family. He's like, as he's writing this, he's like writing this letter because the context is he's writing it because they're like trying to prove themselves spiritually. They're like, you know, if we do all this right stuff, like, you know, God's going to prove me more than the next person. It's all these religious works and all of that. And Paul's writing and he's like, oh man, not only are you free spiritually, not only do you have a new family, but he goes on and he starts talking about this understanding that because of Christmas, we can expect eternal favor. Being a child and being an heir are inseparable realities in God's family. It's amazing, and yet it's one of those things that very few people really wrestle with when it comes to their faith. But I want you to think about this today. The second you placed your faith in Christ, spiritually speaking, you're a baby, right? You're a baby. First Peter chapter 2 says that we need to grow. We need to mature. When you come to Christ, you're a spiritual baby, and you need to grow. But positionally speaking, you're a daughter and you're a son. And being a child and being an heir are inseparable realities in God's kingdom. You can be a spiritual infant, new, brand new in Christ, and yet at the same moment have the wonderful privileges of being a son, being a daughter. That's the difference between religion and that's the difference between Christianity. Religion focuses on the rules, focuses on 
following the law to a T, and it produces spiritual slaves. A relationship with Jesus produces sons, produces daughters. And though they may be a spiritual babe, immature, they still possess the wonderful privileges of the kingdom of God. They're a son and daughter of the most high God. You must see yourself that way. If you don't see yourself that way, your bent will be towards religion. It will be bent towards works. It'll be bent towards following the law. And you'll never experience the wonderful freedom when you come to the realization that everything flows out of my identity as a son of God. Everything flows. And also the understanding of the privileges. Religion produces slaves. Jesus makes us sons and daughters. Christianity is all about position. Who you are in Christ. And then the more you understand that, look at what it says. Since you were a child, verse 7, God has also made you an heir. You know, slaves inherit nothing. Sons possess everything. Because of Christmas, you can expect eternal favor or the favor of God upon your life. I'd like to pause and just wait because like there's a lot of times that you can't let that heaviness in on you. Yeah, but I don't feel like I should expect the favor. I'm not talking about your feelings. I'm talking about what the Bible says. You can expect the favor of God upon your life. Christmas is so much more than Jesus setting you free. More than just him taking you home. But he's blessed you and will continue to bless you along the way. When I uh, wanted to get engaged to Ashley, I was in Bible college and just, like, didn't have hardly any money. But I bought a ring, you know, with cash, like, green stuff. You know, I didn't charge it. But I remember, like, putting all my money into the ring. And there was a family that I knew that was uh, real estate investors in Boston. They were just very, very, very wealthy Christians, but they were very generous believers. And they had a, a private condo on a private island right outside of Boston. It was like the perfect setting to propose. And that's like a hard ask, you know, can I use your weekend condo that you've paid probably a couple million dollars for? Can I like just use it to propose? You know, I had a friend lined up that was going to set it all up and I was going to travel and surprise her and the whole thing. So I remember doing it and I remember asking them uh, one day at church and I knew that I had a feeling that they were going to say yes. But I said, would you you know, I, I laid the whole thing, I had this perfect setting and just all of that. And they said, here are the keys. Here are the keys. And not only here are the keys to the house, but they said, everything in the house, including the $500,000 car, comes with the house. So what's mine is yours. And they handed me the keys. Didn't drive the car, but I wanted to. But it's interesting how you get those, like, images or those things that happen and the Lord just, like, seals them in your mind. Because positionally speaking, when I'm in Christ, he's given me the keys. He's made me an heir. All that belongs to him 
belongs to me. And you begin to understand that. And, and, and it's like such a humbling thing. Like, I mean, seriously, I probably couldn't have afforded the doorknobs on this place. <laughs> but everything that came with the house was mine to the Lord. That's, that's the kind of people we are. That's the generosity of God. That's Paul looking and saying, it's more than just like angels and shepherds and all that stuff. He's like, Jesus exceeded all of my expectations. He's made me an heir. He's tossed the keys of the kingdom and the blessings and the benefits come with this new identity. Romans chapter 8 verse 17 says, we are co-heirs in Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 says that we're brothers with Jesus, that like Jesus is like our elder brother. He didn't compromise divinity, right? Like some cults believe. But it's almost like Jesus is my brother. I'm a co-heir with Christ. And it's good news and it's tough news. It's good news, right? Because of the blessings associated with that kingdom. But it's tough news because, hey, by the way, Jesus suffered. Jesus was rejected. They mocked, they hated, they ridiculed, they rejected him. Why should we expect differently as the worship team comes? Paul, as he's looking at the Christmas story, he's like, it just, the whole thing exceeded his expectations. You look at the apostle Paul, the Christian killer. I mean, I think he would have been fine knowing he was forgiven at least, right? Just forgive me at least, you know? But he's like, I got a new family. I was redeemed. I have a new identity. I'm actually a co-heir with Christ. And the privileges of heaven are now mine. And so I guess my question to you today, this Christmas season, is can you confidently say, confidently, com this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, right? We should be able to have confidence, not arrogance, Religion produces arrogance. Look at what I gave. Look at what I did. Look at me. But confidence is like, this is humility. It's like, you know, everything that you and I need. It's like the only thing we, somebody said it this way. They said the only thing that you and I contributed to the equation of our salvation is the sin that required the death of Jesus on my behalf. That's the only thing that we contributed. And then everything else flows out of that. Everything else flows out of that. It's our motivation. It's our identity. It's our confident understanding that I'm a child of God with the privileges of heaven at my disposal. That anything that Jesus possessed, I can possess. Not because of anything that I've done on my own strength. But it has everything to do with Jesus. Paul's like, this whole thing exceeds my expectations. Before we close, I read the story this past week of John Wesley. It was like a perfect example. He was an honor graduate of Oxford University an ordained clergyman in the Church of England and orthodox in his theology. It says that he was an active person in good works, regularly visiting inmates in prison, 
the workhouses in London. He helped distribute food and clothing to the slums and the children and orphans. He studied the Bible diligently. He attended numerous church services every Sunday and then throughout the week. John Wesley generously gave in offerings to the church, alms to the poor. He prayed and he fasted. He lived an exemplary moral life. He even spent several years as a missionary to American Indians in the British colony back then of Georgia. Yet upon returning to England, he confessed as he wrote in his journal. He said, I who went to America to convert others, myself was never converted to God. Later, he's reflecting on that pre-conversion condition. And here's what he said. I even had a faith of a servant, but it wasn't a faith of a son. And it's like he's assessing and he's evaluating like years and years of like all of this good stuff that he did to God, for God. But he's like, I'm not even like in the right identity. I still see myself as a slave or a servant doing this for God. And years later, he's like, I missed the whole mark. I wasn't doing it as a son. Two very, very different paths to choose. But I'll tell you the wonderful news. Like Paul says, He's like, it exceeds my expectation that everything that I do flows out of my sonship. Everything I do flows out of my sonship. My heart for you is that the Lord gets that in your spirit. That you walk around with a sense of confidence that you're a child of God. That everything that you do that as you live life on mission, that it comes out of that new identity as a son and a daughter. That when you choose to watch the news, that's like kingdoms of this world, but immediately you have the understanding that like you're part of a whole nother kingdom that far exceeds the kingdoms that come and the kingdoms that go in this world. That you have that mentality. Because if you don't, and if you don't, you know, if you're not intentional about, I may teach through Galatians soon, I mean, it talks a lot about this. If you don't, it's like everything in this world wants to chip away from that. Wants to chip away and put you kind of in the the standard and the flow of the systems and the structures and all of that stuff that's in this world. But you're a son and you're a daughter of God. Would you stand with me today? And maybe you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus as everyone closes their eyes for a minute, I just want to ask you that question. Do you have that absolute assurance? Do you have that sense like the Holy Spirit within you is crying out, Abba, Father, you have that assurance that you're in right relationship with God, not because you've done the right thing, but because you've received Jesus as your Savior. And you can lay your head to bed at night and have peace with God. You can pray with confidence like a child would be talking to a healthy father figure and having the understanding that that father had the child's best interest in mind and so as you approach and you talk to God you have that confidence as you pray if not you've missed the mark 
you've pursued religion over relationship. You've tried to like wrap yourself in a form of godliness and yet you find yourself unfulfilled because you haven't realized that it starts from within this new identity as a child of God. And maybe you're here today and you want to commit your life to Jesus for the very, very first time or perhaps you're here today and it's like it's gone cold. You've lost your first love. It's like you're just lukewarm. You're not passionate for Jesus. You're just kind of like going with the flow. But your life isn't flowing out of the reality you're a son and daughter of God and you just need to recommit your life to Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you today before you leave. Is there anyone? Just wait a little bit longer. If not, here's what I want to do this morning as we prepare to close. Joe's going to lead us in a song that talks about this. And I want you to use not just the message today, but I want you to use the words of this song and ask the Lord, get this in my spirit today that I'm a son and I'm a daughter of, of God. Let's sing this song together. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to further connect with us, you can find us online at scaccesschurch.com or on any social media platform. Have a blessed week.